This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest philosophers to your fingertips. With more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Secret Life of Words, English Words and Their Origins. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us, Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And uh, Bill, President Obama did not have a great day on Capitol Hill to finish this week. Pretty amazing, the sort of uh, chaos on the Trade Promotion Authority, the Fast Track Authority that the president wanted. I guess they passed the actual TPA bill by eight votes, uh, but President Obama only got, I think, 27 Democrats on that, 15% of the House Democratic Conference after personally going to lobby for it this morning. I don't recall in my years in Washington uh, any president ever getting such a small percentage of his own party on any major vote. I, if, if listeners can think of a time, I'm curious, they should email and, and tell us. But uh, I really don't recall a president. I mean, presidents have not always carried their party. They'll get 35, 40 percent. Clinton right. did that on NAFTA. Uh, Obama's done that on Afghanistan-type votes. But to get only 15 percent of your own conference, and then, of course, the whole thing went down on the trade adjustment assistance right. side of it, and we'll see what happens next week. Well, and that's part of the problem is Democrats said, I'll back this only if you have this trade assistance. And then when support even for that fell out of the bottom, uh, there's I, I don't see how the Democrats put this back together to uh, push it over the hill for the president. I mean, I think one narrative that's going to be hard to sustain after this is Republicans are just blindly partisan, trying to destroy the president at every at every turn. They got a huge majority of the House Republican conference voting for the, what's Apparently, the president's pretty much top legislative agenda uh, item for this year. And I think Republicans you know, did the right thing, thought they were doing the right thing. They've traditionally been for free trade. So, so much for Republican partisanship. But again, coming back to the earlier point, the, the degree to which he just doesn't, Obama cannot bring his own conference along uh, is pretty striking. I don't know what it says about the future, about Hillary Clinton, or about where the Democratic Party goes on this. But, um, well, it does show one thing, which is um, the Democrats in the past have always been ambivalent about free trade. They, they've been sliding against it mo- somewhat, you know, 60-40 type majorities. 85-15 uh, in terms of percentage in the House against this trade deal. That's pretty startling. But I don't think it's trade that makes me gasp. It's the president of the United States goes down and on the you know the last day gathers all the Democrats together and says, I need you to vote for this for me, for me. And he walks out with 15% for him. I mean, back in my dating days, Bill, I did better than that. That's a terrible number. And I thought it was interesting. Congressman uh, DeFazio from Oregon said he was doing fine until he turned the conversation. And he actually used the phrase, he impugned our integrity and questioned our motives, to which I say, welcome to the club, pal. Uh, absolutely right about that. Um, there's not much personal love for President Obama, not much aff- even affection for him, honestly. They regard him as someone who's he lost them the majority, first in the House, then in the Senate. He's made them cast tough votes and never really done much to help them, I think, is their sense of things. And he's aloof personally. His operation isn't well regarded on the Hill. So all of that, I'm sure, contributes. Um, 
Hillary Clinton seems not to have taken a position on this bill unless I missed it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I guess she's having a relaunch of her campaign tomorrow. I mean, it's kind of crazy for the, the leading, the allegedly inevitable presidential candidate of one party not to have a position on an issue right. that the Congress of the United States is voting on and that the president of the United States, as you say, went down to, to meet with the members to, to ask them to vote one way. And she was part of this administration. So that's like this is something she worked on. So it's pretty – it shows how intimidated she is by the left that she's unwilling to say what she undoubtedly believes, which is that they should pass this. Do you think that Democratic voters are going to notice that there was this huge bloodbath over the core principles of their party on, on the field and General Hillary was having tea and the tent and looking <laughs> out over the you know, governor's – I mean the Roosevelt Island? I think if you're sort of otherwise inclined to support a Bernie Sanders or think, gee, maybe it's time for someone more on the left or someone who doesn't have all of Hillary's baggage and someone who isn't as close to Wall Street and someone, you know, you can start to think to yourself, she supported the Iraq war, then she sat this out. Is she really the standard bearer? Or at least don't we want to send a signal by not supporting her too early and and making it tougher for her? I've got to think this helps her challengers. I'm one of those people who like uh, uh, Peggy Noonan, you know, one day I wake up and I think Hillary's inevitable and I start writing my travel plans to you know Australia. And then the next day I wake up and I go, there is no way someone this bad at politics can win. And I think we're there again. The whole the notion of Rose, uh, Roosevelt Island, I used to live in New York and it's just, it is the most not New York place right. in New York. You can only get in on one road. It's, you know, it's hard to travel to. They're having their ce- annual celebration of Roosevelt Island families and so right. she's going to be stepping on their event. I mean, she just looks... So disconnected, out of touch, you know, kind of this big foot coming in. It's talk about the easiest thing to do is to have a party for yourself. You can have it anywhere, and yet she made her team managed to find a way to create problems for themselves. I mean, it'll be a pretty backdrop. I, I've never been there. I grew up in New York. I mean, it's not really. It's part of New York. Never rode the sky. Nominally part of it? New York, but it's not really part of New York. But I guess it's very pretty. They'll have a nice water backdrop and all that. Uh, it's hard to figure. I, I really agree with you. I saw there was a Fox poll today. I think 57%, something like that, of Democrats are for Hillary for the nomination. I was down from the low 60s. But a large majority in the 60s, 65% or something like that, of Democrats say, no, there will be a contest for the nomination. Right. And I think that's an interesting question. Because if you say there will be a contest, I think aren't you implicitly saying that you sort of welcome the fact that there'll be a contest or, you, or you're at least opening to open to listening to whoever's challenging Hillary? The key would be, will be, as always, I mean, Sanders can wound Hillary, I think. I'm not convinced about O'Malley. He could emerge as the, op- as the re- credible alternative. But there are people out there like Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and John Kerry who are more credible alternatives, really. And it's just, does one of them get in? And, and of course, the trouble is Biden's for this trade deal because he's part of the administration. Same with Kerry. So uh, maybe Bernie Sanders ends up being much more credible than, than well, everyone thinks. It doesn't matter who the Democrats, Democrats nominate because they've got this locked because the Republicans are fully going to elect another rich, super Tony, elitist, out of touch with Americans, Marco Rubio. I mean, look at the guy. Right. He's tooling around in his luxury speedboat and I he's love that. spending money. And he, he scoff law. Oh, my gosh, he had four tickets over 17 years. Once you nominate an elitist, he's basically Mitt Romney with a Hispanic accent. I do think the fact that the I gather the Hillary campaign was peddling all this opposition research on Marco Rubio over the last couple of weeks does say something that they're scared of him in particular. Uh, they don't regard this not this election as such a, uh, a cakewalk as a lot of other people seem to think. And in fact, it really isn't. I think I I, I Hillary's numbers right now. We discussed this before uh, are 
her unfavorable number is higher than a favorable number. That is a huge problem for her. She's so well-known, it's a little hard to see how she improves that number over the next year. And you just don't want to go into a general election upside down But on back that. to Mark Rubio, a uh, radio talk show host who I like a lot, mm-hmm. commented that Rubio had the best week of any Republican primary candidate I've ever seen ever. Because th- what is the Churchill line about nothing embraces you like being shot out to no effect? Right. He gets the credit of being attacked by the New York Times and the left, and that makes a lot of conservatives who are not happy with him on things like immigration like him. But it cost him nothing because the attacks were so dumb. I mean, th- he, uh, he is, as far as I'm concerned, the media's front runner. Jeb's going to announce on Monday, and he's going to announce in the shadow of Marco Rubio. Right, and then two days after Hillary Clinton sort of relaunches mm-hmm. with this big speech. So you do have a weekend that will be dominated by Clinton and Bush. I think whenever that happens, it hurts Bush. Because I do think Republicans get reminded again they're going to be running in the general election against the uh, dynastic candidate, <laughs> against the member of the family who's already been president. And they're going to enjoy, they tell themselves, Republicans tell themselves, having finally the younger candidate, the fresher candidate, the new candidate. Uh, and then suddenly Jeb Bush shows up and he can be personally a good guy and fine and smart on the issues. But it's so you just give away that advantage so thoroughly. Um, I, I, the more I've thought about it, I just I think they thought the Bush campaign at the beginning that Hillary running would help them. They told me that I talked to right. people who were, who were working on the campaign who said this explicitly. It takes away the dynasty issue. It's the opposite. Exactly. If Hillary Clinton disappeared tomorrow, I think suddenly Republicans might say, okay, let's take a look at Jeb Bush. Let's see if he's better or worse than the other candidates. But with Hillary Clinton as the likely nominee, there's such an urge on the part of Republicans to go to a Rubio or a Walker or a Cruz or someone who's not entitled and, and isn't part of a dynasty. Washington Post front page this week, the Jeb Bush campaign is already essentially off the rails before it begins. I thought it was a fascinating piece. And the people who are surprised around Jeb saying he didn't appear ready to run. And that's a surprise for a guy who was a very good campaigner, even the year he lost. And I think about how history could have been different right. if only he'd been elected governor of Florida that first time. Then he could have been the Bush in the White House in 2000, and things would be very different. But, but look, I, I knew Jeb fairly well when he ran in 94 and lost, and then when he was governor some. Um, I've been sort of out of touch with him since he left the governorship in 06, like many people have. He's been busy right. on Wall Street and doing a thing. If you were in education reform, uh, maybe you saw him some. Uh, he's an impressive guy. But the leg, it's a very good reminder. The last time he ran on a ballot, 2002. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know what you were doing in 2002, Michael, but I no, it's a long time ago, yes. you know. It's a long time ago from the point of view of the voters. That's mm-hmm. the way people usually think about it. You know, if you're 30 years old, we were, you know, 17, you weren't sure. even voting then, et cetera. But it's also a long time in the point of, from the point of view of a candidate, you know, and you, you get rusty and you're a little out of touch and he's been giving speeches and doing education reform. He hasn't been doing what Ted Cruz had to do in 2011, 2012, what Marco Rubio did in 2010, what Scott Walker did three times between 2010 and 2014, what Rick Perry did in 2002 and six and 10, you know, and I just think that now he can presumably, you know, come back and, and, sure. and relearn, but I do think we've seen the rustiness. Well, you know, it's interesting. I used to run campaigns for a living, and people would ask me, why do people hire you to do this? I said, because politics is, by definition, for the candidates, an amateur business. Strom Thurmond right. only ran for office about eight or nine times in his entire life. Yeah, that's a good he was point. 100, because, you know, elections only happen so often, and you're right. When you get out, there's a way you think, and you know because you've been around it. When a candidate is in the zone, he's got all his answers. He anticipates questions. He's got his light touch, but he doesn't because he doesn't have to think about his material. He can kind of you know work the crowd or the person. 
all those are skills that are muscle memory skills, and Jeb has been out of the game. And discipline. I mean, I've done after-dinner speeches, and uh, the, the, which Jeb has done also over the last several years. And I like doing them, and I love the people who you meet and all that. But let's be honest, it's pretty easy. Yeah. You're, there's not a reporter there taking down every word you say, and you're not going to get hammered if you misremember <laughs> a date sure. or if you're, you think someone said something and you give, ascribe a quote to one person and it's really another person. Uh, you can tell stories, and obviously we all try to be accurate, but it's it's just different. It's The atmosphere is different when you're speaking to a, a, b- a bunch of bankers who are paying you to kind of come and, and uh, be a pleasant break between their working right. meetings or often between their working meetings and their important the important parts of these conferences, <laughs> the golf the golf outings, you yeah. know. That's what Jeb's been doing to a large degree. And, uh, again, look, is he an able guy? Can he get back in the saddle? Probably. But let's see. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see how I think how how Monday's event goes. I, this is I don't usually pay much attention to these launches. They happen, then the campaigns go on, and you can have a good launch and a bad campaign, a bad launch and a good campaign. It's quite a lot of pressure on Jeb now to have, you know, given that he hasn't taken off, that he's at eleven or twelve percent, despite right. all the hoopla. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do on Monday. Bill Crystal, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Michael.